Hello and welcome to our class podcast from American Writers 2, 1865 to the present. I'm Dr. Carrie Tippin, your instructor and host. And today we're discussing Eudora Welty's short story, The Wide Net. Uh, let's meet the rest of the panel. Panelists, introduce yourself by telling us your name, your major, and since I'm on a road trip right now, I would love to hear your favorite road trip snack. So if you're in the car and you're going, what do you have to pick up at the gas station before you leave? Tell me about your favorite road trip snack. Annalie, you go first. My name's Annalie Rovnak. My major is psychology. My favorite road snack is when I go to the store, I get Reese cups. Heck yeah. Goldfish. Those are my two main ones. What I love most is that you call them Reese cups because that's what I call them too. <laughs> but I like the ones with the little Reese pieces in the middle of them. Reese pieces too. Mm-hmm. I like where your head is at. Yeah, that sounds right to me. <laughs> Oiden, say hello. Um, hello, my name is Oiden and I'm majoring in political science. And my favorite snacks are popcorn and also any kind of chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah, definitely not what? I'm sorry, cut out. Not dark chocolate. Ooh, same. I do not enjoy dark chocolate. Yeah. I like bitter things in general, but I don't like dark chocolate. Yeah. I had this very discussion on the road trip yesterday. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm glad that you're both here and talking about one of my very favorite writers of all time ever. Uh, I love Eudora Welty. I wrote my master's thesis about Eudora Welty. I think we're related. My grandmother's uh, or my mom's maiden name is Welty. So my grandparents are Welties. Um, and I think we kind of share a family story about being Swiss and like coming to Ohio first and then sort of traveling down to Texas from there. So I don't know. I think we're related, but I have no proof that that's true. But I like to tell people that it is. Uh, so we're talking about one of my, again, one of my favorite stories. She's in our anthology. So her biography and some background information is there, but I do not like the story that they picked. It is not my favorite. I don't even like it very much. Lily Daw and the Three Ladies, not my favorite. Uh, so I thought we could skip it and read the one I like better. It's longer, but I like it better. Uh, so before we get into it, I wanted again to remind you, you know, we're in this modernism unit. So we have, again, the hallmarks of modernism that we uh, have been talking about this whole time. Are there any on this list, Anna Lee, that you think describe the story that we read for today? Is it doing some experiments in form or genre? What do you think? Anna Lee, you're on mute and you're going first. <laughs> I would pick. Is there any you can eliminate? Let's go that way. I would pick experiments in language. Yeah. 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 How, what do you, why do you pick that one? Um, because like both <coughs> of the characters, like their languages are really different. Mm -hmm. so. She's kind of representing that Southern dialect and yeah. Yeah. I think we can eliminate experiments in genre and form. It's a pretty straightforward short story, right? It's more or less in order 
it's more or less one narrator, not a lot of confusing kind of weirdo things. Certainly not like E.E. E. Cummings, the poet, and not like the Faulkner story we read on Wednesday either. It's kind of straightforward. Oyden, well, do you have a sense of one that you would pick? Um, I don't have it specifically from here, but I would say uh, the story is definitely based on real realism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It maybe has more in common with realism than with modernism, you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I can track maybe the influence of modernity. There are a couple of moments where uh, clearly we're in like a rural Southern town and it's hard to tell what time of year, what date it is, right? What year, what era we're in. Um, but there's this train. Do you remember a, a tiny scene with the train? There's a train passing by and there's a man walking on top of the train and it makes them cry. And I don't know why, <laughs> but somewhere <laughs> there's a train that's kind of coming into the thing. Uh, maybe it is the lack of modernity that is maybe interesting here as well, right? It doesn't seem to be, we're not in a big city. There's no taxi cabs right? Some of those uh, elements of modernity that we've been expecting, no skyscrapers like in the Chicago poems. Um, so that's kind of different, huh? Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit before we get into the story uh, about Welty as a Southern writer. So one of the things that I shared on the Brightspace page that you can read on your own uh, is an essay that she wrote called um, Place in Fiction. And in this essay, she kind of talks about why it's so important to write place-based stories. So she's from the South, she's from Mississippi, she writes exclusively about that place. Um, and so she says, uh, and here's a quote, we can read it and then talk about it a little bit. Uh, when I speak of writing from where you have put down roots, it may be said that what I urge is regional writing. Regional, I think, is a careless term as well as a condescending one, because what it does is fail to differentiate between the localized raw material of life and its outcome as art. So I'll pause right there for just a second. What do you think she means when she says that word regional is condescending? It's like it's an insult to be called a regional writer. Why do you think that might be? Do you have a guess? Maybe Oiden, I'll pick you on you first this time. <laughs> Why do you think it might be insulting to call someone a regional writer? Um, I'd say uh, maybe because not everyone specifically writes about original place they're born at. They can yeah. write about whatever they want and calling them an original writer would be like calling them out, oh my gosh, you have to write about this specific place because you're related to it. Yeah, so maybe like lacking imagination. Yes. Or lacking experience. Oh, you can't write about anything else but your because home. You haven't experienced it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good, I'm with you. Annalie, do you have an idea or a response to that? I, I agree with Gordon. Yeah. Would also kind of suggest that you're only interesting to the people who are like you as well. So not only do you only know that spot, but those are also the only people who want to read your work. <laughs> so it's a, opposed to being like a universal writer, like a, a world renowned writer. To be a regional writer is to be small, maybe. And so she's saying, I don't think that's fair 
I don't think it's fair to call someone a, a, a regional writer. Uh, also remember that regionalism is old. So that era kind of ended around 1914. And by the time Welty is writing, it's like 1940. And I think it might be another way of saying like old fashioned. This is an old fashioned idea, right? So she says, it's not right. It doesn't differentiate between localized raw material of life and its outcome of art. So there's like the, everyone is writing about where they come from. So she says regionalism, regional is an outsider's term. It has no meaning for the insider who is doing the writing because as far as he knows, he's simply writing about life. Jane Austen, Emily Bronte, Thomas Hardy, Cervantes, Turgenev, the authors of the books of the Old Testament all confine themselves to regions great or small, but are they regional? And then who from the start of time has not been so? Uh, is this a convincing argument for you? She's basically saying all writers are regional writers, even the people who wrote the Old Testament of the Bible. Does that, does that hit you? <laughs> what is, how do you think that argument works? Why? Why might she compare herself to Jane Austen and the Bible? Any ideas? Because they have something in common as a writer. Oh, okay. Say more about that. Keep going. What might they have in common? Because they're both writers. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think she's turning the insult around, right? You said that I had no experience or like that regional means I'm not important, but do you think Jane Austen is important? Yeah, you do. <laughs> and she didn't write about anything beyond the raw material of life that was right in front of her. Uh, do you think that Moses and the Old Testament is important? Uh, well, he only wrote about what was happening in front of him too. So I, I think there's something uh, that she's trying to kind of universalize regional writing instead of making it that tiny little niche niche is maybe a word. Um, and I can't move my window right now. <laughs> but what do you think, it, how do you think she benefits by saying all writing is regional? Does she, does she get anything from doing that? How does it help her to make that argument? Annalie, I'll let you try this time. Um, I mean, like, she's not alone in everything. Like, yeah, are writing about, you know, the same thing as she is like, what's happening in front of them and everything like that. Yeah, it makes her an equal to Jane Austen. Makes her an equal to Moses. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. How about, um, on the other hand, right? So she does say all writing is regional. Everybody's a regional writer, but also I'm a Southern writer and that South is kind of special. Do you have any ideas? Like why might it be, why might she want to be known as a Southern writer anyway? Or how does she benefit from being a specifically Southern writer? Yeah, Oiden. Because it took a big part in history. Yeah, oh, like the like the South is a big part of history? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to readers. Readers wanna know about it. I'm with you. Annalie, do you have an idea? I mean, different stuff happened down in the South than like in the North and all that. So yeah. Like she experienced different things. Yeah. Other people. Yeah. So it's my, this is my raw material. This is what I have. This is what's in front of me. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to you. And so I'm going to write from this place. Uh, I've also talked about it. Maybe I've talked about it on here. 
here on the podcast before. Uh, my brother-in-law is uh, a slightly famous like Christian musician. <laughs> and I kind of think that like by picking that genre and being specifically associated with that genre, he has a smaller pool of competitors and he can get a little bit famous a little bit faster uh, as opposed to like swimming in the pool with everyone. <laughs> so, so in some ways, being a regional writer, being specifically Southern lets you sort of rise to the top of a special class rather than like competing in the big circle. So I think she benefits from that a little bit too. And so she benefits both by making this argument to say, I am uh, 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 rising to the top of a special class, but guess what? We're all special classes. So she's taking the different, but undoing the ranked. Do you remember us talking about how distinction is different and ranked? And so she's kind of keeping the difference, but messing with the rank. I think that's pretty clever. Pretty clever. So based on this story, we'll summarize it in just a second. Uh, but what kind of place is the South? When you were reading the story, what did you think about the place that it's coming from? Is it weird? Is it like other places? Oyden, what do you think? Um, it's definitely weird. And she also adds lots of animals to the story. Right. Yes. Yeah. What kind of animals, Oyden? Which ones do you remember? Uh... I read about rabbit, yeah. uh, the, the big snake, or- The king of the snakes, the yeah. The king of the snakes, <laughs> the gator. There's fish, there's, there's fish. lightning. Yeah, it's kind of a weird place. Um, we'll talk about that quote from Mondays or from Wednesdays uh, later about being tropical. It's kind of tropical <laughs> in a lot of ways. Okay, cool. Uh, Anna Lee, what kind of place is the South? Enjoy my dog noises. Um, to me, like it's weird, but I'm trying to like I don't know how to explain it, so I'm trying to think. Yeah, is it a good weird or a bad weird? Let's start there. It's a good weird. Good weird. Yeah, I agree. As opposed to the bad weird of Faulkner, right? <laughs> Where people get lynched and you're yeah, all kinds of terrible things are happening to a lot of people. Yeah. Particularly people of color. Mm -hmm. But in this place, not so many terrible things happen. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Good weird. Good weird. Like, there's not a lot of drama that happens. That's right. The main drama of the story is, is a fake drama. Yeah. So what's at stake is not life or death, really. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Um... I mean, that's all I like. Yeah. Are the people nice? Yeah. <laughs> right. So the people are nice. The animals are magical. The weather is crazy, but in a good way. All of your dramas will turn out as happy endings. It ends with a rainbow. Did you notice that? <laughs> There's a rainbow across the sky. At the, yeah, end. the end. Yeah. And it was also at night, right? Yeah, like it's evening and there's a rainbow. How weird, but how wonderful. So maybe wild and wonderful. I drove through West Virginia yesterday, which the motto is wild and wonderful West Virginia. And I think it might describe Mississippi here too, right? Wild and wonderful. And that's why I like Welty. I, as opposed to Faulkner, I also write a lot about Faulkner, but if I had to choose, I would pick Welty every time just because it's sweeter. Uh, and nicer. Did I tell you also that all of my chickens are named after characters from the Eudora Welty novel? 
I will tell you their names. Bonnie D. Peacock, T. Cake McGee, uh, Weta Sampson, uh, the intrepid Elsie Fleming, and Bertie Bodkin, comma, postmistress. So um, all my chickens. Thank you, Cameron, for giving me a heart. <laughs> so I love the Unora Welty. I love her stupid names. Uh, what are some of the stupid names in this story? William Wallace. Uh, his rent name. Virgil. Yeah. Doc. Doc. These are just weird people, right? They're just, they're different. They're, they're special, they're interesting, but they have strange names. And um, also a group of men. I forgot their name. Oh yeah, there's like two groups of brothers. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So they're all nice, but they're just interesting. They're just unusual characters. She has some great ones too. Uh, Snowdy McLean from another group. If I have another white chicken, her name is gonna be Snowdy McLean. Um, did you remember Edna Earl passing by for just a second? There's a character named Edna Earl. Uh, I had a rooster named Edna Earl for a second. Uh, but when it turned out to be a rooster, I had to rehome it. Anyway, let's not talk about chickens. Let's talk about this story. Uh, Annalise, start a quick summary and then Oiden, I'll let you pick up somewhere in the middle. What happens in this thing? Well, the main character, William, has a wife named Hazel. Good job. William is, is known for like partying all night and he's never home. And one day, um, wait, her, his wife, I'm so sorry, you know I don't <laughs> um, One day, like he saw a note on the counter from his wife and it said, I'm going to kill myself and it's all your fault. You'll be sorry for this. And as soon as William like finds that he like starts to panic and he searches for her and he was so scared like he he rounded up like some of his neighbors and all that and they went to go to dock because she said she was jump like going into the river and drowning herself. Yeah. So he goes to dock and gets the wide net so like he could go into the river and like check. Yeah. And he like just thinks about himself and instead of going to look for her still he cooks up fish the fish that he caught right yeah it's really hard to tell during this river dragging expedition if he actually thinks she's in there or not if he's really serious about finding her or if this is like a boy's day out yeah <laughs> yeah he he even looked in the house and couldn't find her yeah but yeah. that like like Doc hesitated to give him the net, but he gave it to him because like he cares. Yeah, did you notice he's already used the net recently? Yeah. Like this is not the first time he's done one of these expeditions. So, and and maybe not for the same reason. He like, he's already done it. Yeah, Annalie, good. Oiden, I'm gonna let you pick up from here. What kind of happens on the river dragging expedition and how um, does it turn out? So I'll start off saying that it's weird. It gets weird in the middle. That does get weird in the middle. <laughs> yeah, we totally forget about the wife that she's missing. And the story takes off by animals. So first he meets the rabbit. Yeah. And his friend Virgil tells him, oh, let it go. Let it go. Don't touch it. And then William says, you see, if it wants to go, like he can go. I'm not like holding him. Yeah, so, does that seem so, to be symbolic in some way or about something else? 
Yes, I think it's connected to his wife, how he wants to have all that power over her and how he wants to have all the power over the rabbit, the, the animal. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like it's quiet, calm, not violent power, but it's still power. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, great. Rabbit, then what? Uh, I think fish, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, they get all covered. I think there was fish and crawfish. Uh-huh, uh-huh. caught it and they had tons and they, as Annalise said, that they sit down to eat it. Yeah. And they decided to take a break. I don't think you should, you should be taking a break to eat something. To if you think to someone has drowned, yeah, definitely don't take a break for lunch. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, so later they see the king of the snakes. Oh no, before that they catch they, the Melon Brothers. Yeah. Caught a gator, the small gator. Yeah. And, and they want to pet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me of the rabbit, right? Another wild animal being caught. Mm -hmm. You're doing so well. Keep it. That is strange to keep mm -hmm. the gator. It's it is strange. Yes. <laughs> all right how does it end Oiden? they come to town triumphant with all their fish um uh, then yeah. the, uh, someone asked william if they want to sell the fishes and also the gator and william says oh sell it out and melon brothers gets upset mm -hmm. and also when he comes to the home there is it's almost dark right and then there's a rainbow as you said yeah and when he comes in the home, his wife is there. Yeah. And she's just sitting and she says that uh, she doesn't, she kind of feels sorry, but she doesn't because she, at the end, she says that she's never going to do it because he spanks her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> she says she's not going to do it again, but she said, if I will have a chance, if I'll have, if I'll be stronger, I'll do it again. Um, yeah so she was never in any danger she was at home the whole time uh I think do you think he knew that she was home the whole time I don't think he looked he didn't look hard like a guy who yes yeah, let her out right yeah and yeah. then he left with anger but he he wasn't like um he wasn't grieving over her dead that she could be dead Right, right. Annalie is nodding as well. You also did not think he was maybe a grieving husband? Yeah, like... We also forgot that she was pregnant. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, we left out the key detail, Annalie. Oh, yeah, she was pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, like, three months. Like, not very pregnant. Not very pregnant. So, not noticeably pregnant. Not, like, any day now pregnant. Um, but the first line tells us that she acted as if it was going to be tomorrow. So, a little, like, a dramatic she seems like a dramatic kind of person and maybe ultra dramatic in this particular moment of her life um that was a great summary you did an amazing job uh let's talk about your question so um Annalie you wanted to start talking about Hazel and then when you ask some questions about Wallace William Wallace so let's start uh Annalie what is Hazel doing why is she doing this <laughs> she's like She's doing this for attention because her husband's like always out and yeah. like give her attention. So she does this to like manipulating him. And manipulating, is that the word? Like that's how it feels like manipulative? Yeah. Yeah. Like the bad way or 
Like, is she just asking for affection? Which is it? <laughs> is she a psychopath? I feel like it's both. Okay. Because, like, she's, like, three months pregnant and everything. And, like, I know, like, she wants, she, like, she wants help. She wants attention. She wants to feel loved. Like, yeah. Like, she's insecure about herself because he's not giving her attention. Yeah. Oh, he don't love me anymore. Like, you know? Yeah. And so she thinks of the most dramatic thing that she can do. She feels Yeah. Yeah. She feels like if she does this, then he will, like, get it through his head that she needs more time with him. Yeah. What do you think about the option of saying, hey, William Wallace, I would love to spend more time with you. Do you think could maybe schedule a date or something why does she not do that Emily? because <laughs> I feel like she don't get enough time to like talk to him ah sure down and have a real conversation and like ask him how his day was and everything like that because he's always yeah. out I love the way that the that wealthy depicts it too she's she calls it singing on his neck yeah. in a ditch laying on his neck in a ditch so when you lay on your neck you're like you know yeah. laying on your neck <laughs> singing in a ditch yeah, that's not like useful ways to spend your time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if I was if I was to get like my friend send me a text like saying, "Oh, I'm like going to kill myself." I would be like like why and like I would want to know like what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. It or feel like this. Yeah, so it is, I mean, maybe I should have content warning uh, this particular discussion, because it does take a very serious topic of suicide, and also, you know, telling people about your suicide, and it kind of turns it into a joke. So that is, yeah, that that might be particularly offensive, and I think that's a perfectly, like, useful critique of this story, uh, is that it kind of turns it into a joke. Uh, So, you know, we'll kind of put a pin in that. Oyden, what do you think about William Wallace? Is he the kind of guy who Hazel could say, I wish we could spend more time together. What would you think about having a date night? Would he would he respond to that positively? What do you think? Um, in the beginning of the story, uh, when he comes home, right, and uh, she would not look at him, she would not speak to him, she was ignoring him. And uh, she was acting as normal, but she didn't want to talk to him. Yeah. And in this story, it doesn't say particularly that he did something that to get her attention. I think she started off by making like small, um, how I say, I don't know. Yeah. Trying to get his attention by taking small steps. Right. Yeah. And when that didn't work. Yeah. He should do something bigger. Yeah. And and still he kind of did not care, but kind of cared. I think he just wanted to, he wanted to have the idea to have her next to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about what you said about the rabbit mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the crocodile and all the ways that they attempt to kind of control these wild animals. Annalie, is Hazel a wild animal in your opinion? She is, yes. <laughs> Oiden, do you agree? Um, I think she's more of a woman who craves for attention because the story seems like like old story, right? Yeah. And back in the days, men used to have all the power. That was the... Uh, yeah, but notice how much power Hazel has over him. 
look at what she makes him do. She writes one note and she makes him like go completely crazy. Not just him, other the whole town. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I think it's supposed to be funny. I think it's a joke. I think there's parts of it like there's definitely humor involved. Um, uh, There's a bit of a seriousness underneath it. So I have a hard time with this story often with Hazel in particular because I find her to be totally relatable, as in like the kind of woman who like does need attention and does want to get something from her partner and she's not getting it in her traditional ways of asking and so she kind of goes to 11 uh, at which point I stop empathizing with her (laughs) and where I start thinking like okay that's an extreme response uh what I don't think I would do that maybe maybe I would maybe I wouldn't uh, what does she gain from this adventure? That's my question. Uh, and Lee, I'll kind of point it towards you. At the end, she she's not dead. He does come home. What does she get from having done all this? I feel like she gains like more reassurance from him. Yeah. Like, because like he said, what did he say? He said, like, if you do this again, that means you don't love me or something like that. So I feel like now that she knows that like he cares about her and everything like because like he didn't like how she did that that yeah she will be more like I don't know like calm and like you know about him yeah 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 I'm with you like so they've they've sort of like gotten their wildness out maybe a little bit and now they know how they feel about each other yeah Uh uh-huh uh-huh Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, let's look at that last scene just a little bit. Um, So he comes home. uh, She, let's see, she calls him and he says, what do you want? (laughs) Instead of like, thank God you're not dead. Uh, How do you feel? He said, I feel pretty good. Uh, Not too good, she says. I cut my foot, he says, and shows him her his wound. Uh, (laughs) How did you do that? Dragging the river, but it don't hurt anymore. You ought to have been more careful. Supper's ready. And I wondered if you'd ever come home. Um, what? They like kind of just skip to the, the normal domestic conversation, which is, again, one of those clues that makes me think neither one of them ever believed that they were ever in any danger. Um, but after supper, then they kind of talk about the, the joke, right? Where were you hiding? Did you watch me read it? Then he, he, he gives her a little tap and slap and then spanks her. And it is very hard to tell just from that if like what do you think about this tap and slap and spank is this a friendly playful uh erotic <laughs> or is it something else Annalie what do you think um, I feel like it's like like he's really mad at her so you he's doing really that anger yeah ah it could be we don't want her to do it again because like he was scared, but like, he like, I don't know. I feel like he he didn't know, like he knew she wasn't in the river, but he wanted to go make sure she wasn't. Yeah. So like he knew, mm-hmm. but just wanted to like tell her, oh, don't do it again. Yeah, and that's kind of where the rest of that conversation goes. Will you do it again? Um, he asked her twice, do you think you'll do it again? Will you do it again? Uh, I'll tell my mother on you for this. Doesn't that make you think these are some childish people? Yes. 
<laughs> say that that's so childish you're a grown man and you're gonna tell your your mom yeah when you can fix it yourself yeah so these are some young people they've not been very married very long uh i think they're just some some childish people okay so he does uh this is the question i wanted to ask oiden at this part uh pick yourself up off my knee he says it was just as if he had chased her and captured her again she lay smiling in the crook of his arm it was the same as any other chase in the end what do you think about that the chase oiden um, I think it is childish, like you said, like yeah. they're like he, I think they just want to remember their childhood, like he's running after her, right, yeah. running after her and she wants to be. Yeah, she wants to be chased. Yes, she wants to. And uh, also after that line that you read, she says, I'll do it again if I'm, if I get ready. Yeah. She said, Next time will be different too. Yeah. so she's ready for the next time she knows it's coming and she knows it will happen someday yeah it won't this story won't end here no the story does not end here i think you're right <laughs> yeah it reminded me too of that chasing the rabbit chasing a snake chasing a crocodile chasing a rat uh um fish like all those things are the same they're they're equal in some ways they're all the same and they're fun it's fun Chasing is fun. Being caught is fun. Notice how happy she is to be caught, right? But she's also happy and excited about being, about chasing again. And notice the very last lines, they're smiling, right? Um, he climbed to, oh, so she's looking out across the yard. Uh, he climbed to his feet and stood beside her, trying to look where she looked. So there are two people standing side by side, looking in the same direction. And then after a few minutes, she takes him by the hand and takes him into the house, smiling as if she were smiling down on him. What do you think they're about to do? They go in the house holding hands. Do you have a guess? Do you want to say it out loud, Annalie? <laughs> uh, I, I was... They're going to bone. <laughs> right? I Some mean, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or like, just like, go inside and make out. Yeah, maybe it's just making out. No, it's boning. They're boning. Uh, look at all the sexual tension that's been built up through this whole thing, right? She's it might have been like sexual, like she's they were sexually frustrated too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember the moment um, where William Wallace has dived under the water and he's down there so long they think he's gonna die and he comes up and it's like he has the bins. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what is happening. And she describes it as like the ecstasy of something coming. And it reminded me of like her pregnancy, right? They're just so excited about the life that they're about to have. It's so, and they can't even handle how happy they are. They can't even handle how excited they are. And so they act like crazy people. That's an interesting story, right? That is not the story that we read on Wednesday. <laughs> That's a totally different thing. I wanna talk about William Wallace for a little bit of time too, since that was uh, Oyden's question. What does he get out of this? What's his motive? If he's not totally, I mean, first of all, Oyden, you tell me, do you think he's totally convinced that he's going to find a dead body or is this about something else? 
Um, I think he has that worry, but he's not totally convinced because, ah, uh, let's go. I have to find him. He acts, he acts like as as if it if it was normal. Yeah. Because dog said, ah, oh, you you bartered it already. Yeah. Yes, and I think that already happened, and he knows that it's not that serious. But he convinces his friend, and his friend was not convinced that it was serious. You're like, ah, it's just women's stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not like it's everybody gets a chance to use the net. So I'm looking on uh, page 174 of our PDF, uh, right where you were talking about. Um, if nobody's using your wide net, can we use it? Asked William Wallace. You just used it a month ago. It ain't your turn. So he has this like fancy net and everybody gets a chance to use it for something, but it's not his turn. So uh, it's kind of exciting that he gets a turn at the net. And the whole day that he is in charge of the net, he's in charge, right, of the expedition. It's my river dragging. It's my wife. He says a couple of different times. You do it my way. You do what I say. Uh, Doc's not the boss. I'm the boss of this thing. Why would he need or want that, Oiden? Um, yes, it's definitely weird how as he says, it's not your turn to take it. Mm -hmm. Is it like every single man in the village doing that or? Good question. Annalie, do you think everybody in the village gets to do it? Or because it's for, ain't it for fish too? Yeah, that's really its job, right, is to catch fish. Maybe they're going to get fish so they can eat it. Like, that can be something, too. And certainly they do, right? They catch all these fish. They eat them on the side of the river. They also have an opportunity to sell them in town. So if you get the net, then you get to make money that day, right? Or if you get the net, you get to be in charge of the community that day. You get to be the most powerful man in town for a day, right? You get to dethrone the mayor, I don't know, like Doc's not the mayor, but what do you think about Doc, by the way? Why is he like the biggest person in the community, Oiden? Um, I also want to touch up on something. Oh, oh yes. Uh, so, you know, when at the end Doc was like, oh, you were looking for your wife. And he was like, duh. <laughs> um, then Doc says, oh, she, she, she's not there for sure. I know women. I've been married for many years. And William says, you don't know anything about my wife. You don't know anything about women, but he's been he's been married for years, so he's yeah. experienced it. He's always a little bit. It seems like a little jealous of Doc, a little yeah. like in competition with Doc. Um, Doc is this person who like knows everything, and somehow maybe he also has like a higher class standing in the community because he has this net and nobody else does. So he's older, he's wiser, he's richer, or at least has more resources. Um, and you, for a day, get to be the doc, right? You get to, to boss the boss. And that's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, also, like, taking back as to having all the dominance, all the ha to have all the power. Yeah, 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 yeah. What else? Annalie, do you have an idea what William Wallace gets out of this adventure? I mean, I feel like... He feels more of like a man now. Yeah, say more about that. Like he, he knows that, that Hazel isn't going to do nothing. Yeah. 
because she's having a baby probably and they're like they're really happy they're having a baby yeah. like she just wanted attention so he just feels like with him doing with him going to look for her it makes it makes hazel think that he cares because if he didn't yeah. do it, he wouldn't have cared and it gives him a way to show affection in yeah. a masculine way right it is it is like if he went to if she said hey William Wallace I'd really love to go on a date and he's like yes darling whatever you say darling let's go on a date darling let it be your idea darling that might you know in the world that he's living in that might um endanger his masculinity but yeah. being the knight in shining armor who's in control of the quest nothing more masculine than that. Does anybody notice anything about the animals that they wrestle? Oh, and then I'm bringing it back to the animals. The first thing they wrestle is an eel. Do you know what eels are? They look like, they're like a, they're like a snake, like a water snake. And then they see a snake, which is also the same shape. And then fish, and then a crocodile. Are you noticing anything? This story is dirty. I don't know if you knew that. Um. Every single fish, I mean, every single animal is somehow related to the water. Yeah, because they're in the river. I'm getting at the fact that they're sort of like phallic symbols. They're kind of like big penises. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the king of snakes is literally a one-eyed snake. Uh, so it's a dirty story. I just wanted to say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of so it's I think that you're really onto something Annalie with the masculinity because not only are they wrestling with all of the wild animals in the animal kingdom they're specifically phallic symboled animals they're kind of related to to that and it's a bunch of dudes right it's dudes bonding and they're like being strong and they're facing all kinds of magical odds like a thunderstorm that could kill them all and turn them into fishes and they could be struck by lightning at any minute and like all these things happen and they survive and they're providers who bring food to the to the village right it's very Viking-ish, right? Does it remind you of <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay, wait, I'm going to let you react to that. What do you think about this sort of masculine storyline? Um, the story was definitely interesting to read. Yeah. Lots of turns. And uh, in the middle of the story, as I said before, we totally, for, I, for, uh, for example, I totally forgot that it was wife to rescue, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to forget. Yeah. Yes. Because he haven't mentioned anything about her and they're all dudes gathered up. Like yeah. They were basically acting they went to fishing. Yeah. They're having their big boys day out. Yes. And also at the end, I think he was definitely really unfair to his friend, Virgil. Yeah. Um, because he says, say it was my wife, say it was my river my net yes and then he says yours and then he also like says it like he also makes him lay on the ground while shoving dirt in his mouth yeah i think that was really, really unfair towards his friend who was trying to help him to find his wife a thousand percent but it's definitely that assertion of power yes. right say it was my net it's not his net it, it absolutely is not but today, this one day, he gets to be or pretend to be 
this higher masculine being of Doc. Yeah, yeah, say it was my net. That's such a great moment, Oyden. I'm really glad you reminded me of it. Yes. Okay, cool. We have just a few minutes left. Um, I wanted to address, like, again, the kind of South. We've already kind of started with this discussion about it being, you know, uh, a better South, a sweeter South. Um, can you think about why she might be doing that? why she might be writing a kind of story where the South is kind of softer. So, I mean, uh, let me put it in context this way. So the, the quote from the uh, article that we read for Monday and talked about a little bit on Wednesday, the author says, we lose some vital meaning of the word if we assume that South is always in the South or that is subaltern in some way, always poor, always racist, always oppressed by its opposite, the North. And that word subaltern just means like colonized. Uh, subordinate. And I wonder if that describes the South we've read. Is it always poor? Does this story feel like a bunch of poor people? I mean, they're kind of poor. <laughs> what do you think, Oiden? I feel like it definitely feels like uh, one big happy family who always have their yeah. back. Because every single story I've read about South, there's always people having your back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also definitely, I mean, mentions Mississippi in the, at the end of the story. She says right. that uh, Heather was the, I mean, Hazel was the, the prettiest woman in Mississippi and she will always be the prettiest woman. In yeah, Mississippi. yeah. So maybe they are not rich, but they have this rich community right? They're, they're a family. I like the way you said that too. So even if they're poor, it's not a poor that is crushing. It's not a poor that is breaking their spirits. It's not like the saddest poor around. Um, Anna Lee, how about always racist? Did this story feel racist or have any racist connotations? I uh, know. It's that. not like the plot. Yeah, like the, yeah. The plot of the two stories we read on Wednesday was racism right? Both of those stories were about nothing but hatred between Black and white, violence between white and Black, right? And this story has Black characters, and I don't think they're treated like equals. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, they're also children, and it's like you can just ask any Black child to come do a thing with you, and they'll just do it, um, because their labor is owed to you. So that's not great, but that's not the plot. So if she's defining the South as maybe against this kind of always racist South, do they feel oppressed, always oppressed? Is this a place that feels oppressed by some outside entity? I didn't feel that either, right? They're just people who are enjoying their lives and they're making the best of it. And, and so I wonder if she's doing that on purpose. Do you think she has a purpose for writing about the South in this way? I mean, I feel like she wants people to know that, like, all the South is not that bad. Like, every, like, you know, you know, like, the cities and everything and, like, the towns. Yeah. Like, some, some are more poor than others, you know, but yeah. they're not all, they're not all the same. Yeah. Yeah. Good. There's goodness here. Yeah. Oiden, one last thought before we go on this question. Um, definitely she wanted to express her hometown as a one peaceful place yeah. because not many have uh, much opinion about it. 
Yeah, yeah, I like it. So we all know that the Southerners are poor and racist and oppressed, but we don't know their magical myths about the King of the Snakes. And we don't know how cute and charming their couples can be when they're acting completely insane. And we don't know that they're also happy about having babies, right? All those things that other people get to do as a normal course, right? Southerners have to make a special attempt. Okay, cool. We are out of time. Uh, here's my recommendations. Read Place in Fiction, that essay. Read her novel, The Optimist's Daughter. It is the best of her work and I love it and I think it's great and I think you'll like it. And I also found a recording of her reading part of this story and I think you'll enjoy hearing it in her Mississippi accent. Uh, do you all have any recommendations? Anything you think people should watch or listen to? Annalise says no. Oiden? Anything good on TV this weekend? Definitely take a break. Definitely take a break. That's <laughs> a great piece of advice. All right, everybody else have a wonderful day. Thank you panelists. Thank you listeners. Uh, take care and be well.